emphasis on kids. Keep that alive. There aren't many assemblies left where uh, it, the, the first part of the meeting kind of revolves around them and makes integrates, makes family. Um, yeah, that, that's great. I, we always remember that, appreciate it, and I uh, use you as an illustration in different places I go where uh, we need to bring up that point. Keep it up. Thanks for coming to the missionary conference, those that uh, did. Those that don't, weren't there, um, uh, as Dave was saying, I do work now uh, as a missionary, still in the CMML handbook, still commended, not on staff, uh, but giving a, a large chunk of my missionary ministry time to not just one country in Colombia, but now the 100 or so Emmaus countries we have. Nothing to do with North America. Uh, so I don't uh, know everything about your prison ministry except for what L. Stoltz uh, brings up at prayer in the mornings, and we are thrilled about what's happening in, in, here in Florida with the prison work. Uh, some of you grade, some of you uh, might uh, give, some of you might be involved in different ways. There are hundreds of prisoners coming to the Lord every year, maybe thousands uh, if we take our whole prison ministry across the country. 350,000 courses go into the prisons every year from Emmaus, uh, and all your different uh, arms of the ministry of it in this country alone. And 88% of those are corrected. That means uh, people are taking the course, and they're not just reading a book or just kind of flipping through it. Uh, they're getting into it. They're doing the exam. They have to look up scripture. They, they meditate on the word of God. Lives are being transformed because you're plugging in and helping these people that the Lord loves. And he has a special place in his heart for prisoners, doesn't he? But then you take that and you can multiply it by hundreds over around the world. In fact, 3,500 courses are started every day, around the clock. You don't take Christmas and Easter off either. Uh, and that's exciting. And once again, it's exciting not because of just that statistic, but uh, we also sell books and we've absorbed Loazo and, uh, and uh, uh, some... What's the other big one out in Kansas City? And we're, we're printing books, but that's not in my department either. And actually, I'm not even so interested in the books. You know why? Because 5% of the books you have on your shelf at home, you have read. That's the statistic they tell us, both secular and Christian. Okay? You've only read 5% of your books. You've, you, you reference them. Uh, you bought it because somebody told you at this conference, you've got to have this book. And so, yeah, you, uh, uh, thanks for helping them out by buying it. But you didn't read it. But you know, with our 1.4 million courses that go out every year, once again, the statistic internationally is 78% are completed, exam sent in, tutored, mentored, corrected. Uh, there's a relationship there. The people are growing in Christ. And somehow those statistics dribble down to my office from Fiji to Finland to from South Africa uh, to uh, uh, all over the world. So how many more aren't getting back to my desk? As I was telling them at the conference yesterday with the prison ministry uh, in Zimbabwe three weeks ago, they baptized inside the prison. Uh, this is a maximum security prison. I had the privilege of getting in there in 2010 when we were visiting. 380 in one baptism. And all it is is a little like fountain thing. They've, that's all they got is a little fountain thing in the middle of the... Uh, I suppose they let them out in bunches. They would never let all of them out at once, um, uh, into, even though it is still inside the, the first wall. And so I don't know exactly how, how they baptized them. I'd love to have seen it. But imagine 380 have come to Christ. Back in 2010, there were only about 40 believers in the whole prison. The Spirit of God is obviously getting hold of that. Why? Because somebody is giving money to Zimbabwe to allow them to print courses, to then allow them to turn around and take them into there, and, and, the, and the believers are working and helping, and the Spirit of God does His work. 
Are you studying the Word of God? Yes. Good. Every day? Every day I remember. That's good. You keep it up. Because, you know, that's the only thing you're taking to heaven. There's not one other thing you're taking, not even that pretty tie you don't have on. Yeah? Okay? Nothing we're taking. But we do take our Bible knowledge to heaven. This world is not a waiting room to get into the doctor's office. This world is the exercise room that makes the difference about how fit we are when we get up there spiritually. You understand what I mean? You see, it, it, we're not just saved and somehow on standby, and then we'll start growing in heaven. Those that get to heaven with a hundredfold will continue to exponentially grow in heaven. Their knowledge, their intimacy, their enjoyment of heaven, much greater. You know, you know there's some pretty miserable Christians around. Do you know some of them? They're going to be miserable in heaven, too. You know, everything doesn't get all fixed up in heaven. Oh, there's no more sin, but they're still going to be way back there. Well, you say, how can that be? There can't be comparisons in heaven. Well, I, we don't understand all of that, but we do know there's rewards. And what are those rewards? They're called crowns, but I don't think they're going to physically be pieces of uh, metal on our heads. They're going to be what we use to worship the Lord with. Revelation 5 tells us of that, doesn't it? And so as we grow in him here, we have an intimacy level that is different there. And I think that's the difference that there is in heaven. And it all depends on what we do here on earth. It's a study. Get to know the Lord's work. word. If you don't know how to do it, get hold of a course. There's courses from New Testament, Old Testament, fathering, mothering, uh, um, evangelism, doctrine studies. Get you into the word of God. A couple of pages a day, meditate on the word of God and do that every day for the rest of your life. And you'll enjoy Christ for all of eternity in ways that some others are going to miss out on. Hmm? Interesting topic, but that's not our topic this morning. Let's open up to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're not going to stay there long, but I do want to give you a base verse. Just a, uh, an outline for what I want to look at this morning as we consider one of the characteristics, one of the um, personality figures of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 11, the great faith chapter, it talks about Enoch, our friend, that we don't know much about, in verse 5. But it says, by faith Enoch was taken up, raptured in other words, so that he would not see death. Wow, that'd be nice. We're looking forward to that ourselves. And even, it's possible in our generation we may be like Enoch. And he was not found. Why? Because God took him up. Why? For he obtained the witness in his perverse generation in which he lived. He was known to be someone who pleased God. Now that's why you're here this morning. You want to please God, don't you? How many of you messed up late yesterday? I did. Want to hear it? No, I'm not going to tell you about it. Okay. But we want to please God. That doesn't mean we're perfect yet. Practically, positionally, praise God, yes, already seated in heavenly places. And what's the key? Well, verse 6 gives us the key. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. What does that mean? Well, for he who comes to God, ah, there's the key. How do you please God? You come to him. And if you come to him, you must believe. There's two things here. You must believe that he is. Oh, that's where the whole doctrine of the Godhead and the beauty of the Savior and the counseling ministry of the Spirit and all about God. We believe that He is. 
Stop and think about that one in each concept of God as you work through Scripture for the rest of your life. Believe that He is. Ah, and He is the rewarder of those who come to Him. In other words, God is pleased to please you. You ever thought of that? We as fathers and mothers love to give things to our kids. Don't we love to see them get ahead in life? Sometimes we spoil them. We're in such a hurry to get them ahead. Amen. Yeah? But God is, in his righteous and perfect sense, is doing the same thing. He doesn't spoil us, but he gives us what we need. He is pleased to help us. And so we're here to please God this morning. How do we do that? Well, it's a walk of faith. What does a walk of faith mean? It means simply come to God and believe two things. One, that he is whatever it is that you need him to be. And he already is. And as you actually conceive of that, and it becomes a reality of his nature in you, he rewards you with the ability to be his nature to others. Oh, man, have I confused you? I don't think so. You want to please God. We're going to look at Jesus this morning and just pick one aspect of the Lord Jesus that we would all love to emulate. We would all love to live out. And uh, if I'm picking one that I work on because it's not part of my nature. It's not part of my personality. I'm type A. I'm not a D, D, but I am hyperactive. I do like to keep moving. Uh, I love to go on vacation to the mountains and have three days to sit in a cabin and look at the fog roll by. No. No, about five minutes of that is plenty. Now let's go look at something. Yeah, let's go adventure. Yeah. Uh, And so dealing with people, sometimes I need one of these aspects that Christ has in his personality that isn't natural to me, and that's called the compassion of Christ. Now some of you are naturally compassionate. You can sleep this morning, that's okay. I think uh, uh, you don't need the message. But those of us that need to understand something of the compassion of Christ, uh, this is what we're going to look at this morning. And so we like Enoch. See, Enoch needed to learn all these things from God, and apparently he learned an awful lot of them because there was a witness in his depraved generation that he pleased God. Does anybody give that witness to me? Ah, so we want to please God, but why don't we? Well, we have some problems, don't we? Bitterness would fight against our compassion, wouldn't it? Resentment. We worked in Latin cultures in South America, and boy, those Peruvians, they can remember a fault against them for 40 years or 40 generations. Hmm? Maybe you do too. What about self-centeredness and, and selfishness, the, the me-first generation does that affect our compassion? Not caring, you know, not getting involved. Uh, how about the, if you tend to be a little bit miserly? You know, you're always worried about your own pocketbook, or you're one of these hard step on other people kind of personalities. And so compassion doesn't come right to a number of us. And, and then we lived in a third world generation, a culture for, for so long that you almost become hardened to it because there's so much need around you all the time. And, and much of it is, unfortunately, these poor little kids on the street, they're not out there just to make ends meet. They're a part of a mafia. And you know that, and they're begging, and they got their little snotty noses, and you feel so sorry for them. But then you, you hear the stories, and, and uh, they're making megabucks for their bosses. 
And you become hardened to these kind of things. And, and then sometimes there's also the fear factor that you're going to get involved in a scam. So somebody comes up to you in the airport and wants a, wants a buck and you're, and you're backing away because you don't know if you're going to lose your wallet and everything else. And, and, and all these issues in life make us a little bit offish or scared or, or uh, resentful or whatever. So that's the bad part. Now let's look at the good part. How do you, how do you overcome that? What does our verse say? Come to God for two things. Come to the Lord Jesus and see that he is. What is he? Believe that he is. Believe in our context this morning that he is Mr. Compassion himself. The word compassion, as it's used in the New Testament, means to be moved inwardly, to yearn with tender mercy, affection, pity, empathy. Whew, that's not me. So if it's not me but I'm called to be like the Lord Jesus, then he can be himself in me. You see what the purpose is here? It refers to the deepest possible feelings, the phrase moved with compassion. Some of you might have the old King James Bible. It talks about the bowels. Yeah, okay. And now uh, we won't talk about the moving of the bowels. That, uh, we have other contexts. But, the, the, but the, uh, that's the whole idea. That when you, when you, you feel constricted in your innards, and you, you feel so sorry and uptight and, 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 and compassionate for the needs of others. Okay, it's from the idea from the bottom of your heart. Okay, somebody's defined a compassion as the sympathy coupled with a desire to help. You want to be compassionate? The Lord Jesus was, and so we believe that He is. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So, like Enoch walked with faith, He comes to the Lord as the author of compassion. Okay, and I'll give you, uh, we'll flip through the New Testament, or the Gospels rather, and, and look at Jesus in different contexts, and if you're going to get any value out of this, you might want to write it down in the margin of your Bible or on the back of your bulletin, just to go back over them later. In Matthew 9, we see the first one, his compassion on people without a shepherd. Seeing the people, it says in Matthew 9:36, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. This is a new paragraph. It's out of context. It's not any one situation. It's just a very general statement. As the Lord went along the dusty roads of Galilee, he felt compassion for almost everybody he saw because of their condition of just basically being aimless uncared for, unshepherded. And all you have to do is go to the mall in Pembroke Pines to see exactly the same thing. And people are filling up their lives with things because they don't have a shepherd. Do you feel compassion for them? Then number two, we see Jesus moved with compassion in three healings that he performs. The first one is in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. Ah, see the Lord does something when he feels compassion. Mark 1.40, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched the leper, I wouldn't, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Wow. 
Then look in Luke chapter 7. Another time there's an illness situation. So there's three times, moved by compassion, the Lord heals. Ah, and don't we need the healing touch of the Lord? Sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually. Soon afterwards, verse 11 of Luke 7 says, He went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. Isn't that beautiful? In the midst of this whole crowd of people, one lady, a widow, poor, sociably insignificant, in the misery of losing her only son, the author of eternity turns his compassion on her. And he said to her, don't weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Boy, that's called healing, isn't it? And we're going to be healed one day too. He touched the leper. He touches the dead. And then he touches the blind man back in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. The Lord has compassion on those who are hurting. And this world we live in is a hurting world. Does our heart not be pumped the same blood as the Lord Jesus in compassion? I wish it were that way in my situation. And as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, as that famous verse in 28, 29 of chapter 20 says, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, and they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us! Son of David! And the crowd sternly told them, Be quiet! But they shouted out all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us! Jesus stopped and, and called them and said, What do you want? Me to do for you. And they said to him, Lord, we want our sights back. We want our eyes opened. And you see the Lord's heart moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. And immediately they regained their sight and followed him. See, in each one of the situations where the Lord used his miraculous power as the author of life, it wasn't just some kind of theological reasoning. It wasn't just some kind of power show. It was motivated by the same issue that can be within our own hearts, moved with compassion. Might not the Lord use me more if I stopped to see the two blind men and were moved to compassion or the widow do you visit widows? James says that's pure religion. Mm. Then number three, we see Jesus moved with compassion in the context of two of the greatest miracles he did. And we won't take time to read these. You know them backwards and forwards. But it's the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6, verse 33, or in Matthew 14, 14 and following. And, and, and the Lord in these contexts was moved with compassion for the crowds, it says. 
He wanted uh, to, to reach out to them and, and, and keep them from being uh, fainting on the way home from the lack of food. Now, some of you are not lacking food here this morning. In fact, none of us are, if you had as many sweet rolls as I just did. Um, pretty good stuff, yeah? So the Lord doesn't have to be too compassionate about our need for food at the moment. Uh, in fact, most of us probably don't even need lunch. But be that as it may, then a few uh, weeks later, he feeds the 4,000, and it's the same reaction. The Lord moved with compassion, says, what are we going to do with these, the, these people? They need help physically. See, the Lord's not only concerned about the health aspect, and the, uh, he's also interested in just the day-by-day routine, we need lunch. He's compassionate on those that don't have lunch. The Lord of creation worried about people not having lunch to eat? That's compassion. Are we worried about those kind of things? Do we have compassion for those kind of things? Then number four, there's three parables in which the Lord is involved in teaching about compassion. Matthew 18 would be the first of them. Matthew 18 and verse 21 Interesting, all the, in healings, in, in, in parables, in his miracles, compassion is involved. And here he's teaching about forgiveness. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how, many, how, often, should my, uh, bro, uh, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Good old Peter, he was looking for a number. Make it three, Lord, and then I can wash my hands of that person and write them off. <laughs> Or, man, I'm going to be really spiritual and make it seven? <laughs> he comes up with that. He thought he was really outdoing himself, didn't he? And you remember the answer of the Lord? I do not to say you up to seven times, but up to 77 times for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the slaves. And he starts giving that parable. And then in verse 27, And the Lord, talking about the, uh, the, the, uh, the slave owner, the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave his debt. Ah, but the parable doesn't end, does it? So the forgiven, the one to whom compassion was shown, he goes out, and you remember what he did? And the Lord condemned that uncompassionate one for refusing to forgive a small debt. And we know the story purpose, don't we? The Lord has shown eternal compassion on our souls by forgiving us. So that there's the parable of the king settling accounts has to do with compassion. Your salvation has to do with compassion. Partially. Then go over to Luke chapter 10. I know I'm making you scoot around your Bible, but I don't make any apologies. It's good to have dirty, bent-up Bibles. Luke chapter 10, verse 33 Here's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know this parable better than I know it. In verse 33, what is the situation? But a Samaritan who was on a journey after the religious, uh, they came by and snobbed the poor guy who was lying there bleeding to death. But a Samaritan, the half-caste, who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Hmm? Now, some of you might be of one ethnic background who doesn't really get along too well with another ethnic background. We're a melting pot here in South Florida, aren't we? 
And there are problems because of that. So we put that into the context here. It might be easy for you to feel compassion on somebody that's like you. But what happens if you come by somebody of that other ethnic background you don't like? And maybe it was ingrained in you because from your mother and grandfather and from generations back that you don't like this gener- that, 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 that ethnicity or that one. But he felt compassion. And the Samaritans hated the Jews, but he felt compassion. Mm-hmm. In verse 37, and he said, the one who showed mercy towards him, and Jesus said to them, go and do the same. See, that was the purpose of the parable, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Then the third parable in Luke chapter 15 is the probably the most famous context within which you could preach about compassion and you could just do the whole compassion talk right from this one parable it's the parable about you and me the prodigal son Mm -hmm. and verse 20 and the son said to him father I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son verse 21 but verse 20 says and he got up and came to his father but while he was still a long way off his father got out his binoculars looking for him he saw him and that gut feeling dad loves his son whose son who had messed up and name anything that Hollywood could esteem as, a good, as good. This guy had taken and made bad in all its wretchedness. And the father loved him. Felt compassion. The older son, the older brother didn't. Many of us fall into the older brother category very often. But the father felt compassion his stomach twisted his heart left his lungs gasped his muscles tense and he sprang up and ran and and, and I can just imagine the ad embrace where did it come from compassion then fifthly there's two confrontations with the legalistic teachers of the law Uh, and they, they both come as quotes. The Lord uses uh, Hosea 6.6 6 to, to answer them. And uh, the first one is in Matthew 9 and verse 9. That the Lord's eating with these highly educated, very pompous, uh, white-colored teachers of the law who were perfect in all their tithing of the pepper and cumin and everything else. And, and as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave orders that, not to relate to anyone that he had uh, uh, what had been seen hmm? until the Son of Man rose from the dead, and they seized upon the statement discussing with one another what was rising. Hmm, I have got the wrong passage here, but that's okay. It's, there's a good one. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 12 and uh, verse 1. There you have the parable of the vine growers. And once again, something autocorrect changed something for me here. But you remember, it was it twice the Lord was with the um, with the uh, with the religious leaders, and they and they wanted to pick on his understanding of Scripture. And he said, "God loves sacrifice." No, 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 no. He didn't say that. God wants you to what? He wants you to be like Him. 
He wants you to follow him. And, and he takes Hosea uh, 6, verse 6, if you, uh, uh, and, and, he quotes, and he quotes it to them. Uh, where the Lord says, I delight in loyalty, or it's the word for compassion. It's the, 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 the inner strength of one rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, that's what the Lord wants. He says it very clearly. I don't want all your stuff. I don't want all your re- religiosity. I don't want all your routine. You can play church. You can play Christian. You can play good. I want reality. I want loyalty. I want compassion. So, see, the Lord is. So that, that's how we come to understand what compassion is and, and be convinced that we should be compassionate by Hebrews eleven six telling us that we need to believe that he is. Okay, so we have, do we believe that Jesus is Mr. Compassion? He is the author of compassion. He is the supplier of compassion. I don't have compassion naturally within my framework, but I don't need it because Jesus is it, and he lives in me now, doesn't he? So I have no excuse either. Just because it's not naturally within my framework, but Jesus lives within me, he, and so now I must, number two, believe that he's the rewarder of those who come to him. So I want to please him, I come to him, and Jesus says, okay, here's, my, here's the reward. I will reward you with myself, and part of myself is compassion. Jesus is our compassion that allows us to be compassionate to others. Okay? List in your mind. Here's the application for the message this morning as we nearly get to the end. List in your mind the areas where you need to allow the Lord to apply his compassion in your life. People? Has to be people. Because compassion always deals with people. And it's interesting that word compassion is a dual word, isn't it? Passion. See, that, that's the base, that's the root of the word is passion. And passion has to do with love. Passion has to do with reaching out and giving. Compassion means with passion you exercise love towards others. So who aren't you being compassionate towards? In what situations do you need to be compassionate? I know some husbands that need to learn compassion with their wives. I know some of us that are about my age that need to learn this whole issue of being compassionate with the elderly parents that become more and more difficult as they might be slipping into dementia or Alzheimer's and need more and more help, and we live in a world that's pressuring us more and more into its mold and the, and the hyperactivity of this world, and yet our parents are needing our time and we feel strength. What's the answer? Compassion. Where do I get it from? Jesus. Not me. See, I can just work on it in my gut feeling and come up with a volitional compassion. I'm going to be compassionate to my deaf old mother. That won't work very long, so I'll soon find myself being irritated with her or not going over and having lunch. or not. It just doesn't work, does it? But if you let Jesus be Jesus as compassion in you, suddenly your heart palpitates in a different way. Your love comes from him. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, Oh, I know, Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Oh, may your loving kindness, that's the same word for compassion, 
comfort me according to your word to your servant. May your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Ah, so when you feel struggling, you're struggling with it, use, use the word of God to call on, on the Lord for it. And, and, and so believe that he'll reward you with his compassion. And then like that little chorus that we used to sing in, in South Africa, we need to let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Ever heard that chorus? Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. O oh, thou Savior divine, make all uh, my make all, all my nature refine. Ah, oh, that's the hard part. You see, I stumbled on that one. All my nature refine. I like my nature. I like to be a miserable old guy. Yeah. No, 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 no. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All His wonderful passion and purity. All my nature refine. Ah. So the beauty of Jesus may be seen in me. Jonah didn't do a very good job at that, did he? Remember Jonah? Okay. So the question is, are we going to go back to the beatitude and say, let the Lord bless us? Because he said, happy, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Mm -hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do, or admit, admit to do, and more in the light of what they suffer. Isn't that interesting? Think about people not in who they are and what they do or what they give you or what they can... Think about their lives, okay? Or, sorry for the context, but Mother Teresa, however you take her, said, I would rather make mistakes in kindness and compassion than work miracles in unkindness and hardness. Whether she's in glory or not, I don't know. But I do know... She lived out a life of compassion. I've been to her home in Calcutta. John Bunyan said, You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. I generally do things for people that I'll get something out of. That's my nature. Isn't it yours? I think so. Mark Twain He's definitely not in glory. said, kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Wow. So if even the unregenerate can see it, and it comes from being made in the image of God, what about us that have the residence of the Spirit of God within us? That have the, 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 all the nature of Jesus within us. You see, if Jesus lives within us, then compassion is resident within us. Isn't that amazing to think about? Uh, and so the Lord gives us some very clear insights. Think about this one from Micah 6 and verse 8. He has shown to you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy or steadfast love or compassion. It's all the same word there. To love compassion and to walk humbly with your God. Okay. Uh, the, the message version puts it this way. Sometimes it's good to read paraphrases. But he's already made it plain how to live and what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love and take your, don't take yourself too seriously. Hmm? Ephesians 4, the Lord says through Paul's pen, be kind to one another. Oh, I can hear this one ringing in my ears when my brother and I were fighting. And I was usually coming out on the black and blue end of it. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. 
Or he tells the Galatians in 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then he tells the Colossians in 3.2, put on then as God's chosen once holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put it on! A compassionate heart. With kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And so the Lord tells us in his Sermon on the Mount in 7.12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. At your workplace, pursue the outcast. Uh, at your college, pursue the, the kid sitting on the edge of the uh, campus there. At your school, pursue the uncool kid. In your neighborhood, pursue the unlikable. Maybe the, uh, somebody's just moved in, doesn't even speak your language very well yet. That's compassion. Invite them to your home. Invite them to your assembly. Invite them to go to the ball game with you. Huh, it's great to hear you play soccer on Sunday evenings yeah, or Monday evenings. You know, what, a, what, a, what a great outreach. Even if they do break out in fights, you can show compassion yeah, and uh, work with them. They'll see the Lord in you. I love the tune to the hymn, uh, the, the, the tune to some of the hymns we sing, Finlandia, we rest on thee, or uh, others that we sing to it. The Gaithers t took that tune and have written some new words to it. And one of the verses says, I then shall live as one who's learned compassion. I've been so loved that I'll love risking too. I know how fear builds walls instead of bridges. I'll dare to see another's point of view. And when relationship demands commitment, then I'll be there to care and follow through. And the last verse says, Your kingdom come around and through and in me. Your power and glory, let them shine through me. Your hallowed name, oh, may I bear with honor. And may your living kingdom come in me. The bread of life, oh, may I share with honor, and may you feed a hungry world through me. Ah, compassion. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. Oh, thou spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Somebody tacked on a, uh, another verse later on that I found on the internet. It says, let my wonderful Savior be seen in me. His amazing compassion and constancy. His great love is my goal by his spirit's control till my wonderful Savior be seen in me. Are you compassionate? Some of you don't fight with that. But most of us do, I think. Passion. Compassion for others. The nature of Jesus that resides in me, allowing him to be himself through me. We are the hands and the heart and the feet and the hugs and the kisses and the meals on wheels of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. That's the way he's chosen it to be. And if we don't do it, the world doesn't see him. He wants to do it through us. Lord, we thank you that the love of the Lord Jesus constrains us to be like him. May we understand that compassion is part of your nature, your personality, and you want to show that to the world.
through us. May we come to you and enjoy all your compassion. Just revel in it. Boy, do we need it. I sure do. Thank you for being compassionate to me in so, so many ways. May I now allow that compassion to overflow and run out like rivers of living water to refresh and touch and, and help others. Not because of my ability, not because of my nature, because of Jesus in me. And so we give you worship and thanks and praise in his holy name. Amen.